the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Luke. Please notice the order. He first is interested in this man's spiritual healing. He's interested in this man's heart. He's going to get to the physical part. But the first and most important thing, honestly, is not that this guy walked again, but that this guy would go to heaven. And Jesus is concerned about the the entirety of, of, of who we are, body, soul, and spirit. But he is most concerned about our spirit, where we will spend eternity. The compassion of Jesus knows no bounds. Today, Pastor Gary will tell you about Jesus healing a man who was paralyzed, a man who had to be lowered into a crowd from the roof because his friends insisted he have an encounter with the Savior. But Pastor Gary will point out that Jesus did more than allow this man to walk again. Jesus also forgave his sins. He gave life for eternity. Jesus wants to do the same for all people today, too, you included. He will forgive your sins if you bring them to Him. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Luke, chapter 5, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. When you are trying to get your friends to get to know Jesus, sometimes you're going to have to go around the religious people. Does everybody know what I mean by that? Okay, there's going to be some religious people, some like religious people. I don't mean people who were deeply, passionately born again evangelical Christians. I mean the religious people, okay, that you're going to have to get your friends around to get them to Jesus. Not everybody who says, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian is necessarily Christian in practice, they might be a Christian in name only, and they're not giving the rest of us very good names, okay? It's the name of Christ anyway. It's his name. But have you ever felt, felt to yourself, oh, no, there's, there goes another crazy Christian doing something crazy, and now all my friends think I'm just like that, okay? And you're not just like that, but so you're going to have to get your friends around that to get them really to Jesus. Does, there, does everybody understand what I'm saying? Some of you are like, I don't know what you mean. All right, well, then it's not for you. But here's the thing. So, so the house is crowded, and the friends, Mark's Gospel also tells us there are four, are taking their buddy, we don't know his name, we'll call him Matt, and he's lying on a mat, and, and, they, and they go up on the roof, and they break open a hole, and they lower the guy down. Now, we, it, doesn't know, it doesn't tell us if Matt was all for this or not, okay? It, it, maybe the friends were more zealous than he is, and they're just like, we're going to do this. You, you need to be healed, and we're going to do that. I don't want to do You're going to do this. We, you don't have a say. We're going to carry you on the mat, and we're going to lower you to Jesus. And that's what they do, through the roof, through the ceiling, right down to Jesus. And Jesus 
says to them, your sins are forgiven. Now, the religious leaders take issue with this because they say, well, that's blasphemy. Who in the world does this guy think he is? Only God can forgive sins. Now, their theology is correct. Only God can forgive sins. But it's not blasphemous since Jesus is God. But because they don't accept Jesus as being God, they are these religious leaders who are not engaged in the heart. They just have head stuff, but they don't have an engaged heart in all of this. So they take issue with Jesus in their hearts and in their minds. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, says, why why are you thinking this? He says, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? And what does he mean by that? Here's what he means by this. Anybody can say your sins are forgiven. Anybody could say that. I'm not saying that you have the, you know, that, you know, you're the vicar of Christ and you get to pronounce forgiveness over people. I'm just simply saying that anybody can mouth those words. Anybody can say that. Jesus is basically acknowledging to them, listen, what I've just said is an invisible reality. Jesus forgave this guy's sins, but you can't see somebody's sins forgiven. So Jesus then says, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or pick up your mat and and walk? It's easier to say your sins are forgiven. So, therefore, Jesus then demonstrates something they can see to validate what they cannot see. So he performs this miracle. But please notice the order. He first is interested in this man's spiritual healing. He's interested in this man's heart. He's going to get to the physical part. But the first and most important thing, honestly, is not that this guy walked again, but that this guy would go to heaven. And Jesus is concerned about the the entirety of of who we are, body, soul, and spirit. But he is most concerned about our spirit, where we will spend eternity, with him or not. And so he's going to go after us because he wants our heart so that we'll spend eternity with him. Very first thing he does is he addresses the sin issue in this man's life. Your sins have been forgiven. But so that you all who doubt me, Jesus is saying, can believe what is invisible, I will show you something visible. says to the guy, pick up your mat, take up your mat and walk. And immediately he stood up in front of them and took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. And everybody was amazed. Just this wonderful healing moment. Please note also in this story that it says that Jesus responded to the faith of the friends. Now, I'm not suggesting that you can kind of be the faith for someone else to get saved. Everybody has to exercise their own faith and trust in Christ. But there's something to be said about you believing God on behalf of other people for what God can eventually do in their lives. When you are praying for your loved ones, when you are praying for your friends, when you are believing God to do a wonderful work in their lives, in their hearts, in their bodies, God honors the faith of these friends. Because back in verse 20, it says, when Jesus saw their faith, not the guy on the mat, we have no idea if the paralyzed guy on the mat even exercised personally faith for healing. Jesus saw their faith and he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. So the faith that they had for their friend being healed, that's really what they wanted, was a physical healing. Jesus first starts with the spiritual issue, addresses the man's heart, but then in honor of the friend's faith, he also brings physical healing to this guy's body. So it's a great story. It's a wonderful story here. As we move on to verse 27, it says, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. And then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. 
and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to the disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So Jesus comes across this guy who's a tax collector, it, it literally as a, he was more of a customs agent. He would sit at a, at a toll booth. He would collect tax. He was working on behalf of the Roman government, so tax collectors were despised because they would line their pockets. They'd take taxes from you, charge a little bit more, give what they needed to Rome, and take the difference for themselves. So the Jews saw a tax collector as being a traitor. You know, you're, you're, you're working for the government, you're robbing me, you're not helping me. And so here, here's Levi, and he's so named because of his genes. But anyway, so his name is Levi, and his name gets changed to Matthew, Matatiahu in the Hebrew, meaning God of God. There is no indication in the Bible why Levi's name gets changed to Matthew. And we don't know anything else about Matthew outside of when he gets called to follow Jesus. And that's not to say anything good or bad about him. Just as a matter of fact, in the Gospels, we don't know anything else about him. There's no other story about anything he did or said outside of when he initially gets called by Jesus to follow him. Uh, and he, he holds this great banquet in honor of Jesus. Some, some say that this is kind of like a going away party where, you know, Matthew's because he's, he's, he's left his livelihood. He's left everything to follow Jesus. Now, this is a unique, obviously a unique thing here. Jesus may tell you to quit your job and to do something for him. I'm not telling you what to do or not to do, but I'm just saying the example here is not to set a pattern necessarily for what we should do. This is a unique thing where Jesus is going to call 12 men in particular to follow him, and it will require an extra measure of uh, renouncing everything else, leaving everything else to wholeheartedly follow Jesus for three and a half years. And, and, and Matthew does this. He leaves everything. And he's holding this great banquet, somewhat as a going away party, like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be a tax collector anymore. I'm not going to be ripping off people anymore. I'm, I'm going to go follow Jesus. The religious leaders, the Pharisees, teachers of the law, once again, they take issue. Why do you, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? You know, Jesus, is, this, isn't, this isn't befitting for somebody like you. You shouldn't be hanging out with a tax collector like this. Jesus said, listen, I have not... It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And, and before we, we read how he connects that in a spiritual sense, please note there, Jesus has no problem with doctor, okay? There's some people who will go around saying, you know, you should, you, don't ever go to a doctor. If, if you go to a doctor, you lack faith, okay? Christian science, which is neither, okay? It's neither Christian nor science. It's kind of like grape nuts. It's neither, right? You ever open up a box of grape nuts and were disappointed? I was. First time I opened one up, you know, and there's no grapes in here, there are no nuts. Anyway, I digress. But Christian science, for example, teaches, and it's not, it's not, it's not Christian, but it teaches, hey, you know, you should have faith, and you don't ever need a doctor. There's a, there's a, a family friends of ours, I remember growing up as a teenager, and the wife died because she had uh, diabetes, which was treatable. She had severe diabetes, it was treatable with insulin injections, but she refused any medication, refused doctors, and just died. Look, it, there's nothing wrong with going to doctors, okay? And modern medicine uh, has, has been advanced as it has because God has given some brilliant people some wisdom to understand some things, and it's beneficial to us. So I'm not saying we have to always run to the doctor for every little thing. Maybe we should pray more and pay a copay less. I don't know. But Jesus doesn't have a problem with doctors. He says, look, it's not the health you need a doctor. It's the sick. And then he adds, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So in, in the same way that the healthy don't need a doctor, but the sick need a doctor, Jesus said the sinners are the ones 
who need to be saved. And, and he says, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Verse 33, they said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. And Jesus answered, can you make the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days, they will fast. And you know what the real issue was of, of, of these people who were critical of Jesus? They were basically saying, you guys are too happy. That's what they were saying. You guys are having too much fun. You look too happy. You know, John's disciples, they're, they're all kind of sullen. They're gloomy. You know, they fast a lot. It looks a lot more spiritual. And people will lay that trip on you. They, they will say, you know, if you were really more spiritual, you would tone it down. Tone it down, okay? You should be a lot more somber about things. Tone it down, okay? Don't you know how much of a sinner you are and just recognize that a little bit, okay? You heathen, you sinner, you... You know what I mean? I mean, people will put those kind of guilt trips on you as if to say that being happy and joyous is an unchristian thing. It's a very Christian thing. It's a very Christian thing to be joyful in the Lord. Because, listen, life is heavy. It is difficult, the world is burdensome. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So when you realize that the hope you have in Jesus Christ, that should bring great joy. Amen. And so the, 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 these folks are like, you know, you, you guys look too happy. And Jesus says, listen. And he makes this analogy about the bridegroom and a wedding. He says, listen, as long as the bridegroom is around... Just like in a wedding, there's feasting. It's joyful, okay? And it would be a terrible wedding. Have you ever been to a wedding if people were sitting around going, oh, this is awful, oh, this is terrible. I can't, I can't even eat my food. No, people are dancing. They're doing the electric machine, you know, whatever that thing, whatever that thing is. You know, Gangnam Style's gone now, I guess. It's something else now. But, but the whole thing, but the, everybody's rejoicing. You know, they're, they're a little too much maybe, okay? You know, maybe a little too much, you know what I'm saying? But anyway, but the idea is a wedding is supposed to be a happy time. It's not a gloomy time. Jesus says this is a happy time because the bridegroom, he's referring to himself, is here among them. He says, but there will be a day that the, that the bridegroom will be taken. And it refers to a time when Jesus will depart. And he says, then they will fast. Because, you know, then they will be sad at the day that Messiah is no longer present with them. And, and in that sense, then, they will be fasting and they will, they will be praying. And so now's not the time. The bridegroom is among them. Uh, but one day the, the, the groom will be taken from them. And those days they will fast. His disciples will will know the difference. And then he told them this parable. No one tears a patch from a new garment, verse 36, and sews it on an old one. If he does, he will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. Please make note as I read through this. New, old, new, old. Verse 37, and no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins, and no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for he says the old is better. Now, we've talked about this passage before because uh, Matthew and Mark talk about it as well, and, and Jesus is contrasting the old and the new. He's saying to them, and this is important for us to understand, Jesus did not come to put a patch on an old system, okay? He, he, he came to bring something completely New. He didn't come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill the law. But the law itself, listen, following a bunch of rules and regulations will not improve your heart. It might improve your conduct, 
It might improve your behavior, but it will not improve your heart and make you able to gain entrance to heaven by means of your own righteousness. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. So the legal system was helping people to realize that rule after rule after rule was not able to cleanse the human heart. That's why we need a Savior. Jesus comes, dies on a cross to redeem us and to save us from our sins because we can't save ourselves. You cannot do enough good things to make your heart righteous. God, knowing this, sends his son Jesus to die for the sins of the world so that by faith in him we might have eternal life. It is a relationship with Jesus and Jesus alone. So Jesus is saying to them, don't think I've come to just kind of put a new patch on something old. I am bringing something brand new. This is a new system. This is a new covenant. This is a new life. This is a new heart. This is new eternal life. There will be a new heaven. There will be a new earth. Behold, I make all things new. God is about making all things new. He is not interested in simply being a band-aid on your old life. People have a misperception about Christianity. They think, some people do, that it is about living my life the way I always have and the way I always want to, but I'm going to kind of add Jesus on top of it. And then somehow that's going to be good enough to get me to heaven. Because I've heard about him, I went to church, I, you know, I, I did something to acknowledge that I believe in Jesus, but yet there's no renouncing, there's no leaving, there's no repentance, there's no confession. So some people are under, under the misguided notion, and if this is you, I, I, I need you to please understand that the Bible does not teach that you can live your life as you always have when you come into contact with Jesus and then simply add Jesus onto your life. I'm still going to just sleep with my boyfriend and girlfriend, but now I have Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm still going to get drunk, but now I have Jesus. I'm still going to uh, cheat. I'm still going to steal from my company, but now I, I have Jesus. It, it is recognizing sin in my life. It is renouncing the old ways. It is uh, leaving those things. It is repenting of those things. It is confessing sin before the Lord and receiving Jesus Christ in a brand new relationship. And he gives us a brand new heart and a brand new identity and a brand new start. That is the relationship with Jesus. It is not a bunch of rules and regulations and religion, just a, a patch on an old system. It is something brand new. So Jesus wanted them to understand, and no doubt he wants us to understand this as well. He didn't come just to patch up an old system. He came to bring something brand new. He came to offer grace, forgiveness, love. And all we have to do is respond to that, to respond to that. God is the initiator. God is the pursuer. All he wants of us is to respond, to respond to his love, to receive his forgiveness. Let's go into chapter 6 a little bit. We still have a little bit of time. Chapter 6, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? I mean, look, how, look how often people are just, they constantly are attacking, criticizing. They're trying to challenge him. Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is unlawful only for priest to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking again and said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. So we got up and stood there. And then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? He looked around at them all 
And then said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. But they were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. So again, uh, the issue here is Jesus is doing something that is not according to the strict code of the law, which is you know, the idea that the Sabbath is, is a day of complete rest. You do nothing. And we've talked about the ridiculous uh, sub, uh, sabbatical laws that are now uh, a part of the, of the Mishnah, which is a commentary on the, on the, on the Jewish law, uh, things that they could and could not do uh, to, to the point of the ridiculous. And, uh, and, and so here Jesus and his disciples are going along grain fields. They're pulling the head of the wheat, for example. They're rolling it in their hands, and they're blowing the wheat from the chaff, and they're eating the kernels. And technically, to the religious leaders, you're harvesting. You are breaking the law of the Sabbath. This is the Sabbath. You're not supposed to do that. And Jesus quotes the story from 1 Samuel 21. It's an occasion when David is with his fighting men. They're hungry. They have no food. They go into the house. They go into the tabernacle of the Lord where there is a table with bread on it, consecrated bread, that only the priest is supposed to eat. At the end of the day, the priest replaces it. uh, Rather, at the end of the day, the, the priest takes it, eats it. Next morning, he replaces it with fresh bread. And Jesus says, don't you remember that David went in there and he took the bread and he ate it and he gave it to his fighting men. And the point Jesus is making is that To do good trumps the letter of the law. There is never a bad day or a wrong day to do what is right. There is never a wrong day to do what is right. Human need is more important than some strict observance of legalism. There's some men dying here. We have some bread. How about you eat that? We're not supposed to eat that. The priest don't. Some men are dying here. We need some bread. It's okay, Jesus said. Loosen up. You know, these guys are wound a little too tight around the axle. Okay, so similar thing happens. It's a Sabbath again. Jesus goes into the synagogue. There's a man with a shriveled hand. Luke is again very specific here as a doctor. He's like, it's the right hand. Okay, it's the right hand. Thank you, Luke. And in the middle of the of the synagogue, Jesus approaches this man with the shriveled hand, and before he heals the man, because he knows the thoughts of his critics. This guy isn't, he isn't going to perform a miracle here on the Sabbath, is he? Isn't this ridiculous? They are more concerned about the letter of the law than this man's well-being who needs to be healed. That's when Jesus says, well, is it better to do right or wrong, good or evil, on the Sabbath? There's not even any answer. They just, you know, they're mystified. They don't know how to answer this. He's like, well, the answer is, is implied. The answer is, it's right to do good, okay, on the Sabbath day and on any day. So he says to the man, stretch out your hand. And he's instantly completely healed. And they are furious. The critics of Jesus are furious. They are more concerned about being right than doing the right thing. We have to guard legalism in our own hearts and lives. There are times we might be prone to a legalistic approach to things. We need to be very, very careful that we're not just tunnel vision. This is, this is absolutely right and this is absolutely wrong. There, there are some times we need to just kind of widen the vision a little bit and realize maybe there's a, maybe there's a bigger picture here. Maybe there's a imp- more important thing here. It's, it's not so important all the time about being right. What's more important is doing the right thing. Jesus was more concerned about doing what was right. The Pharisees were more concerned about being right. We don't, we don't really care that there's a need here. We don't really care that people are hungry. We don't really care there's a man with a shriveled hand. We just want to be right, and this is not the right time to do this. No, no, no. Any day is the right day to do what is good and honorable and true. Amen. 
We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection and that we were able to dig into the Gospel of Luke together. Did you know you could download our mobile app and take Cornerstone Connection with you anywhere you take your phone? That way you'll never miss a message from Pastor Gary's studies and you'll always have encouragement from God's Word at your fingertips. Find a link to download the app for your iPhone or Android device at our website cornerstoneconnection.cc While you're there, you can also learn about the church behind this ministry. We'd love to meet you at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. We're meeting weekly in person and online, so please join us for worship and Bible study. You can find all the information you need to connect and get service times at our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc We pray you've been blessed by this teaching today on the life of Jesus. Know that we're praying for you too. Is there anything specific we could lift up to the Lord? Let us know by emailing prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's all we have time for today, but join us next time to continue studying Luke right here on Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know.